All right. So we're going to be in the book of Proverbs 29, 27. A little bit different message. Um, to me, it seems more like a lecture than a message, but it uh, might change a little bit when we get into it. Um, it's called A Kingdom Worldview, Proverbs 29, 27. Uh, every time I land on this scripture, uh, I feel like um, I see something that goes on in our society today. You know, you can look, even if you just looked at media, um, if you look at one channel, they see the same situation through a certain lens. As another channel, they see it from another perspective. And it seems like they're opposite ends of the spectrum, but they're looking at the same events. One interprets it one way, another interprets it another way. And how can they do that? Um, well, it has to do with your worldview, how you look at the world. Proverbs 29, 27 says, an unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, and he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. So it's kind of like, of course, this is written from the standpoint of a person that is, is, uh, knows the Lord Solomon, but what he's bringing out here is that uh, uh, what, what we would consider a righteous person, the world says, man, what's wrong with you, right? They look at it as, you got something wrong with you, right? But then uh, 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 a righteous person looks at the, person that's living in the world and they say well I know what's wrong with you <laughs> but the reality is uh, they're looking uh, one considers the other one to be something wrong with it and the other one looks at the same at this other person and says there's something wrong with you how can there be such a different way of looking at things well it's called a worldview what we see in this verse is that it's describing a way of looking at the world one's way of seeing the world and how it works puts it at odds with the other's way of seeing and looking at the world. We're going to define for you in this message, in this teaching, what a worldview is, and then seek to understand how worldview affects how we see and interpret life. And you say, okay, well, I understand that because you're going to talk about how the church sees things, how, the, how God sees things, and how the world sees things. Yes, but also worldview affects how the church itself, different people in the church, sees the same thing. So we can actually be in the same church, uh, read the same scripture. And I'm talking about be right with the Lord, but because of your lenses, what you get out of it, and sometimes it's the Holy Spirit revealing to us different things, but a lot of times it's the lenses that you wear, you might get something totally different from another person because of your worldview, your perspective, how you look at life. And so it's important, I'll get, I'll, at the end I'm going to say this, but I'll go ahead and say it right now. If all we accomplish tonight is for us to realize is that I look at life through a set of glasses if we if we get to a point where we just realize that then I will have considered what we did here tonight to be effective because what happens is um, is that we tend to think that the way we look at life is the way life is not realizing the way we look at life is the way we see life the only one that really knows the way life is, is God, because he's omniscient. He knows everything. We are, we are in some ways looking through tinted glasses, and the tint in our glasses has to do with where we were raised, what we were taught, how do we view life, how do we see life, 
uh, a lot of things that we look at in life in our Western culture is different than the way Eastern culture looks at things in life. They can look at exactly the same thing and they come up with different ways of looking at things because they have different perspectives. They were taught differently. They have different ways of, of viewing life. And all I want to, to, to get tonight is for you to realize sometimes I go around and I'm, I'm just looking at life, seeing life, doing whatever, and then all of a sudden I realize, oh wait, I got glasses on. And I want you to realize that we all have glasses, right? And if we realize that we all have glasses, then it gives us a, a little bit of, of a heads up that, hey, when I have a difference of opinion or I see something a little bit differently, um, it might be not, because we tend to say is what I see is the right way and everybody else is the wrong way. We just have a tendency to do that. I'm not saying we get mad about it or we divide about it, but we just have a tendency to, the way I see life is the way it is. But if we can get to a place where we realize that well, we all have glasses on, and yes, I see life that way, but it might not be the only way. Right? There might be difference, of, then, then we will accomplish what we wanted to tonight. Well, anyway, um, I believe that much of what we struggle with as people, much of the differing opinions we have and how we do life is shaped by our worldview, how we see the world. This dynamic applies to believers as well. We can recognize it in our use of phrases like, in my opinion, or I believe, or the way I see things, but most of the time, people don't say those things. They'd say, this is the way it is not realizing that when they say this is the way it is, what they're really saying is, this is the way I see it. But we don't use words like, this is the way I see it, because in our opinion, what we see is. Am I making sense to you? So the problem is that the people we're talking to also believe that the way they see it is, and their differing beliefs in, in a church situation comes by reading the same material. So how can we read the same Bible and glean different understandings? The answer is our worldview. And let me share that the hardest thing to change in a person's life is their worldview because most people don't recognize they have one. That being said, let's dive into the message. First question we want to answer, the title of this point is, what is a worldview? Again, our scripture says, an unjust man is an abomination to the righteous and he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. They look at the world differently. A worldview is a set of presuppositions or assumptions which we hold some consciously, many of them subconsciously or unconsciously about the basic makeup of our world. Most of us do not consciously learn our worldview so much as we absorb it from our surrounding society. For instance, if we were to go to a restaurant, a Chinese restaurant, then we, you know, we get the option. We uh, have been taught, I'm not talking about most of us have been taught in our culture, I'm making an assumption, but I would think most of us have been taught how to eat with a fork and a spoon and a knife. But if you go in an Asian restaurant, what else do they offer you? Chopsticks, right? So I never ask for chopsticks because that's not the way I eat. But an Asian, if, and I'm, I know I'm making an assumption here, so just go with me. I'm trying to be, I'm trying not to get in trouble. Uh, but if you were grew up in an Asian society where all they use is chopsticks, you would never think of asking for a fork because that's not part of the way you eat. We, I never think of asking for chopsticks because it's not part of the way I eat. It's just I don't think about eating noodles with chopsticks. I don't think about eating anything with chopsticks, right? And some people probably would never think about eating anything with a 
for? Because that's just not the way we are raised. That's not the way you eat. Now, it's not the way. What I need to realize is not the way I eat, but it doesn't mean that it's not the way to eat. But oftentimes we bring the way I eat into it's not the way to eat. We do that in eating. We can do that in church. That's not the way you do it. That's not the way it's supposed to happen. Why? Because it's not the way I know it to be. We now realize that we don't use those phrases, but the bottom line is what we're really saying is it doesn't match my way of seeing things. But if I can get you to realize that it's your way of seeing things, but it's not the only way of seeing things, then we've accomplished something, okay? So anyway, most of us do not consciously learn our worldview. We so much as absorb it. It's passed on from generation to generation with minimal change, and the assumptions are rarely reviewed or revised. We assume that the way we understand life is how everybody understands life or should understand life, and that our understanding of the world is reality. I've been a pastor for a long time. Can't tell you how many times, not because there was a lot of times, but I literally can't remember how many times <laughs> somebody's come up and they've had a difference of opinion. I remember one time in particular, somebody had a difference of opinion, and I, I had a difference, I had a different set of opinions, and I just said, we're going to have to agree to disagree. Now, I can do that, I can agree to disagree, but what I find is that many people can't, because in their mind, it's not a difference of opinion, it's your way is not my way, your way is wrong. Why is my way wrong? Because it's not the way they see life. And what I want you to understand, and again, I'm repeating it over and over again, is that it's not the way we see life, but it doesn't mean that it's wrong. It's just different. Now, some worldviews are, according to the Lord, wrong. Right? According to God's way of looking at things, there is a worldly worldview, and then there is a godly worldview. But what we're going to look at tonight before we get there is that we're going to look at a worldview uh, of a world versus, and I use this on purpose, I use the phrase church worldview. And not worldview, but worldviews, because different churches have different worldviews. Proverbs 29, 27, an unjust man is an abomination. Oh, I already <laughs> just got that in there. Anyway, you know the scripture. So first thing we want to look at is a worldly worldview. First John 2 and 16, what does it say? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Did you know that for us who are Christians, we understand these things are wrong. We understand this isn't pleasing to God. We understand that we, if we participate in these things, we might do it, but it's not pleasing to God. It's wrong. It's what we call sin. Sin is an aberrant behavior. It's outside of God's will. It's outside of God's desire. It's missing the mark. That's what the word, what is the mark? This is what God defines is right, and anything outside of that is wrong. We call that sin, right? So, but if you, uh, which, you know, you'll find that there's a lot of people today, uh, they used to be agnostic, but a lot of people now are atheists, which means they don't believe that there is a God. And what we find is that if you don't believe that there is a God, there's no such thing as sin. Nothing's wrong. It's only a different way of doing life because you remove God from the equation. And so while we're looking at all that is in the world is the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, somebody that doesn't have any acknowledgement of God, they're saying, hey, that's, that brings joy to me. What's wrong with that? Right? 
Now, in general, the Western worldview of today is dominated by a, a, a way of looking at things called humanism. Humanism is, uh, uh, means that the person, humanity, people, the individual is the center of the universe. Not God, but man. So it's not what God, it's like instead of God saying, we, and I use this language to Christians because we're Christians and, and we're going to make sure that we understand we're coming, I'm coming out of this from a Christian perspective, but according to the Bible, God is supposed to be sitting on the throne. In humanism, man is the one that sits on the throne. And that's what, what the enemy presented Eve in the garden. He said, if you eat of this fruit, you're going to be like God, not realizing that that's what the enemy wants to be, is like God. In his mind, he's, he's a created being, created by God, but in his mind, he can sit on the throne of God, and that's really what he was offering Eve, and that's really what humanism is about. That dominates our worldview. I said, well, I'm not a, uh, in the, uh, you know, I don't have that kind of worldview. Why is that important to me? Because we grow up in a culture that is dominated by that worldview. We used to be a, a, a culture that had God in, 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 you know, with the idea of God and who God is being the center of our worldview, but no longer. The worldview today and the worldview that, pe that people carry, not only as they live in life, in regular life, and we expect people, you know, I, I get surprised at the church. I'm going to just digress here for a minute. I get surprised at the church because we get upset with sinners because they sin. I don't have a problem with sin or sinning because that's what they do. They don't know any better. This is how they live life, whatever the case may be, right? Well, there's no reason to get mad at that, okay? But what we should uh, get upset about is when Christians think that living like the world is okay. That's a different way of looking at life. That's not what we're called to do, right? So we grow up in a culture that is dominated by a humanistic worldview, and what we need to realize is that when we get saved, we don't realize how much of that worldview is ingrained in us, right? We bring that into the Christian life because when we get saved, our, our, the Bible says uh, you are a new creation in Christ, old things have passed away, all things have become new. And for those of you all, I'll just re reiterate a little bit. My understanding of this, and what I feel like is a biblical understanding of this, is when you get saved, your spirit is renewed. It's regenerated, right? Your spirit was dead to the things of God, and God breathes life into it. God himself, the spirit of God, comes and lives inside of you. Romans 8 and 11 says, If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, for that spirit lives inside of you. Your spirit, God's spirit, like a marriage, you become one. You become the temple of the living God. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That's great. Now, what a lot of Christians, when they get saved, they don't realize is that their spirit is renewed, but their mind is the same. You still think like you did before you became a Christian, right? That's why the Bible says, be not conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And not only that, you still live in the same flesh, carnal way of thinking, carnal way of living, and that's why Paul says, uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a 
living sacrifice. One of the things we're called to do is to crucify the flesh. That doesn't mean, uh, uh, you know, when you get saved that you never have problems with the flesh anymore. It means when you get saved, you got to learn what is right, what is wrong, and then you got to learn how to crucify those desires that aren't pleasing to God. Right? You know, it's kind of like uh, uh, when people come into Christian life or people hear about the Lord, you know, they say, well, this is how I am. This is how I was created, you know, and not realizing that that's the flesh. How you were created is what God says in his word, right? This is what God says. This is true. And you say, well, I have a desire to do that. Well, you got to crucify the flesh, right? According to the Christian worldview. If you don't have a Christian worldview, you think, you're crazy. This is DNA. This is the way I was created, whatever. But see, we're, what we're dealing with, we're not dealing with, uh, we think that we're talking to somebody on the same level, but we're not. We're talking to somebody who has a totally different worldview. Right? No, this is science. It's been proven. And, and because it's science, you know, they're not acknowledging God. They're not acknowledging who the God is. They said, this is the way I am. Well, who are you to tell me that I'm wrong? Where the Christian comes in and says, no, that's not who you are. Who you are is who God created you to be. Well, if that's how I created me to be, why do I feel this way? Because it's something called sin. It's something called the flesh. And we have to learn how to crucify the flesh. But it's so strong in me. There are other people that have weaknesses in other areas of their life. You may have a, a, a weakness when it comes to being same-sex attraction, but that doesn't make it right. you got to crucify the flesh. No, it's who I, I am, who I was created to be. Yet we have no problems with saying to somebody that has a desire to steal something, and, and they said, but it's how I was created to be. No, it's wrong. You've got to crucify the flesh. So why can we say it about that? Well, you know, and we can't say it about this, because it's a different way of looking at life. We have to go back and we have to realize this is the way God created us to be. And if my desires don't match up with that, it's not like I give in to my desires because that's really the temptation. That's what the, uh, the enemy wanted Eve to do. Give in to your desires. What you feel is right. Live by instinct, not by the word of God. Live by what you feel, not by the word of God. But the Lord said, do not eat from this tree. You don't live by what you feel. You live by the word of God. And then you bring everything into line with that. Well, I got off on that. Let me get back. So the Western worldview is dominated by humanism. So when you get saved, you bring a lot of this into your uh, uh, Christian life because you've been taught this in school. You've been taught this by uh, your job. You've been taught this by your friends. You've been taught this through culture. You're taught this by media. You're taught this by the news. You're taught this about everything in this world because that's what it's programmed to do. Modern humanists, humanists are those who embrace secularism, self-reliance, materialism, rationalism. They no longer believe it's possible to arrive rationally at an objective, moral, or spiritual truth. So what is secularism? It's the assumption of secular minds is that we live in a material universe closed off from divine intervention in which truth is arrived only through empirical means and rational thought. That means it's only true if we can, if we can prove it. Right? Self-reliance. Inherent in the Western worldview is a desire to control everything, people, things, events, even future events. Uh, that's, that's part of humanism. Materialism assumes nothing exists except matter and its movement and modifications. There is no spiritual world. It's just what I see. You say, well, well, well Christians don't believe that. Yes, they do. That's why they don't believe in the supernatural. Right? Because it doesn't make sense to their mind. 
That stuff only happened uh, to prove the Bible. God doesn't do that today. Why? Because today we're logical, we're rational, we know better. That's a Western worldview. That's not a biblical worldview. It's not a kingdom worldview. It's a worldview that has been uh, incorporated into. Now, I know I'm making some people mad. Not here. But I'm trying to teach my church the one that God's given me responsibility over, I'm trying to teach you what I believe the Bible teaches us so that we can be open to everything that God has for us. Because I don't know what you believe. Maybe you, maybe you did go to a, 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 you know, some kind of church where they taught, uh, and I'm trying not to name names, where they taught that there is no uh, power of God moving today. There is this, nothing of this is happening today. You can't expect God to just uh, show up and do something supernatural in life. You've got to help yourself. God helps those who help themselves. Where does it say that in the Bible? That's a humanistic worldview. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't expect us to do things, but... God helps many people who can't help themselves, if not all of us who can't help themselves, because we were dead in trespasses and sins, and dead people can't help themselves. I'm just saying. Rationalism seeks a rational explanation for all experience, making reason the chief guide in all matters of life. Well, I don't do that anymore, but I want you to know a lot of these YouTube videos that you're listening to, that is their worldview. And they will negate anything that God does supernaturally because their worldview is that God doesn't do that. And that's why they want to accuse people of being heretics and accuse people of being false and all these kind of things. It's not because they are, it's because it doesn't match their worldview. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Right. So that's, that's uh, uh, anyway, the world that we live in has a, a, a humanistic worldview. But what about the church? What we don't always realize is that in the church, we also have a worldview. Our worldviews affect how we see, interpret, what we read, see, hear as it pertains to God's Word. Yes, we're in the Word of God, hopefully, but we all see things differently as we approach the Word of God. Yeah, even a, 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 a very simple thing, a gender, when they read the Word of God, are going to see things differently than, than a male is going to see things differently than a female, Right? Somebody uh, that is poor is going to see things differently than somebody that's rich. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Somebody that's in servitude, which we don't have uh, today, but that's in servitude, would have seen something differently than someone who was free. You know, our worldview affects how we see and interpret what we read, see, and hear as it pertains to God's Word. Because we grow up in a Western society taught by a system that has largely been taken over by people with humanistic values who are responsible to have taught us and to train our children, we are ingrained in many respects with a Western worldview. Right? That's how, that's how come you have Christians, not non-Christians, Christians that would be willing to endorse abortion. It's not because it's biblical, it's because it's a worldly worldview based on humanism uh, uh, that, 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 uh, that affects the way they read scripture, the way they see scripture, they approach scripture with everything in scripture is not necessarily valid for today. That worldview doesn't go away when we become Christians. In fact, that worldview shapes much of what we, what we believe and how we interpret the word of God. As Christians... Our goal is not to shed entirely the worldview of whatever society we might live in. Instead, our goal is to become conscious of our worldview and then change it to exclude things that are contrary to Christianity. Just, you know, very 
simple illustration based on what we went through in the last couple of years is that uh, I believe that as a church, we need to be more vocal politically. Some of you may not believe that. Well, I'm here to tell you, it's probably not uh, because you're right or I'm wrong or I'm right or you're wrong. It's just how we approach the Bible. We see things differently because we have a different world view, right? Once we understand that, then we can learn from each other. We recognize that we wear glasses, whatever the case may be. So one of the things that I think is important for us is that we need to be involved in this world because I believe God wants us to change this world. He sends us into the world to make a difference. If we don't vote, if we don't uh, become involved in the school boards and in politics uh, and as the Lord leads, then we leave a vacuum, and where there's a vacuum, where there's darkness, that's where the enemy thrives. So one of the things that we want to tell you is that, well, how do I vote? Well, I don't want to tell you to vote Republican, or I don't want to tell you to vote Democrat. What I want to tell you is to vote kingdom. What are biblical values? Okay, well, Christians shouldn't vote. No, that's where we're going to differ. I hope to teach you somewhere down the road and show you that it's up to us. If we want to, we want to be salt and light, we've got to make our uh, uh, presence known in the things that are available. But what we need to do is we need to make our presence known through kingdom values. Very simple thing. It said, well, they're Republican or they're Democrat. I always vote Republican, I always vote Democrat. Well, if the Democrat values life, but the Republican does not, then I'm going to vote for the one that values life. If the Republican values life and the Democrat does not, then I'm going to vote for the one that values life. If neither one of them value life, I'm using one issue, right? I'm talking about uh, basically abortion. If none of them value life, then I'm going to vote for the independent that values life because I'm not voting Republican or Democrat. I'm going to vote, but I'm going to vote kingdom. You understand? I'm going to vote kingdom. And that's what I want you to see is that we need to change how we see things. Anyway, Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, Paul, uh, Paul is writing the Ephesian church. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Basically, he's saying, this is the way you used to walk. This is the way you came into the kingdom. Don't walk like that anymore. In fact, in Ephesians 4, 1, he says, I beseech you that you walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So anyway, he goes on, he says, what kind, what, what kind of, uh, uh, how did the Gentiles walk? How was it that I came in? Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Ignorance just means lack of knowledge. They don't understand who God is. They don't understand what God is about. And because of the blindness of their heart, who being past, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, one of the ways that you'll be able to differentiate between a worldly worldview and a godly worldview is if your worldview uh, gives a license for uh, to do the things that you used to do while you were in the world, something's wrong with your worldview. Well, grace, I'm under grace. Yes, you may be under grace, but grace does not give you permission to sin. And if that's the world, that's the, the thing that you're, you're holding on to, then you're reading scripture through a lens that, is, that needs to be re-examined. Because grace doesn't empower you to sin, 
grace empowers you to not sin. I'm making sense to you. Okay, so we talked about worldly uh, worldviews versus church worldviews. I wanted you to see that there's different worldviews in different churches. If you grow up in a Baptist church, a Methodist church, a Pentecostal church, uh, you know, whatever church you grow up in or Catholic church, you're going to see life differently. We're all Christians. We don't grow up the same. Our culture's not the same, right? So that brings us into the third point I want to look at, religious worldviews. And I use the word religious important because what I'm really trying to differentiate is the difference between uh, uh, and I'm talking not world religions, I'm talking about the difference between churches, right? Different ways of looking at things, but more than that, I want to actually going to differentiate between a religious worldview and a kingdom worldview, but we're going to look at religious worldviews first. Matthew 16, 5 through 12, when his disciples had come to the other side, they forgot to take bread, and Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, who are the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Yeah, they're not just leaders, they're the Religious leaders, they know Scripture better than we would ever hope to know Scripture. They are learned. They have memorized Scripture. They know it backwards and forwards. And Jesus is saying, beware of the leaven of these religious leaders. And they reason, reason among themselves, saying it's because we haven't taken no bread. Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not understand and remember the five loaves of the 5,000, how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves of the 4,000, how many large baskets you took up? How is it you, under, you do not understand? I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. If you don't know what leaven is, leaven is, is like yeast. It affects your nature, it affects who you are, and they understood he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. When we're talking about doctrine, we're talking about a way of looking at life, right? And, and uh, I'm, not ta- I'm not just talking about uh, uh, sound biblical doctrine, I'm talking about the traditions of men. Uh, and, and I'm talking about religious traditions of men centered around the Word of God. They're not God uh, 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 made, they're man made, but they're religious in the sense that they're trying always to have a, a God center to it, but they fail because it's a religious worldview. God's Word is intended to shape our thinking and in doing so to give us a God-oriented worldview. The problem that arises is twofold. Not only are we dealing with the previous worldview we brought into the Christian life, but our new lenses are often tinted by the people, churches, denominations through whom we're taught. I remember when I first got saved. I got saved in a camp meeting church, right? Love the church. Nothing wrong with it, right? What is a camp meeting church? Well, I didn't grow up in church. So the way I described it is it's a great church, spiritual church, but they sang old songs. It's the way I, that's just the way I can describe it to you. They like to sing songs from the 40s and the 50s and uh, you know and and but it was great I, I love the songs uh, I love the culture uh, they gave uh, room for the Spirit of God to move now um, as much as I love the church looking back on it is there a lot of religious stuff in the church yes there's a lot of religious stuff in the church there's probably a lot of religious stuff in our church as well I'm not saying that all I'm saying is that it's a camp meeting church and that's how I grew up that's how I got saved that's what I was steeped in for two years and so when I went to Bible school I was looking for a church that was alive like my church not dead like a church that wasn't like my church had a worldview that was shaped by the culture that I was in so I would go into another church that didn't match 
my church, and I would say, this church is dead. Was it dead? No, may have been, but some of, <laughs> some of may have been, but not all of them were, but they weren't dead, uh, really. I wasn't evaluating based on, uh, is the Lord in the church, is the Lord moving? I was evaluating on, did it match what I think a church should be, and what I thought a church should be is what I was taught, what I was modeled. Again, worldviews are not always taught. They're more caught sometimes. Do they sing the same songs we sing? Do they allow the Spirit of God to move in the altar call like, like I think they're supposed to move? Uh, they might allow the Spirit of God to move, but it might be different. Do they, uh, you know, do they have a, a sister, that, that, that one sister that always gives the, the, the tongues and another one that gives the interpretation of tongues? Or do, what, you know, what's going on? Does it match what I brought up, was, uh, brought up with? Do they, uh, do they wear suits to go to church? Or do they wear you know, something else? Do they, uh, uh, do they talk a certain way? Or do they talk another way? You know, that's how I was evaluating church. I had a worldview. Right? I was taught by the church that I was brought up in, and thankfully, that's not where I stayed. Right? I was exposed to other ways of doing church, and I actually grew up, and I realize now the value of it. I, 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 I went to school and I, I went into a missions, because I thought I was going to be a missionary. I went to a missions uh, uh, program, and one of the things that missions tries to teach you is that American culture is not kingdom culture. Because a lot of times what missionaries do is they go across seas and they try to in, in, incorporate, and they get people saved, and then what they try to do is they try to make them like the American church. And so you're in, in Asia and they're singing uh, songs that we sing here in America, only you can't understand what they're saying because they're trying to sing it the way we do it, in the same language we do it, and, the way they, and it doesn't sound right. And we don't let them be who they are because uh, the kingdom is not about uh, how you, uh, you know, it, it's not American. The kingdom transcends culture. But if you see the way you grew up as being kingdom and the way God is, then you're going to take that overseas. And so when you go overseas in churches that have been brought up in that model, they're going to dress like the culture that the missionary came from. They're going to sing the songs that the missionary grew up in. They're going to act the way the missionary uh, taught them to act, the way he grew up in, and they, their culture is totally eliminated. God doesn't want to eliminate their culture. He wants their culture to be part of who they are, but he wants to bring godly values into their culture. Right? So when we're taught our previous worldview, we bring it into our Christian life, but our new lenses are also tinted or, 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 or colored by the people, churches, denominations through whom we're taught. All of us might say that our worldviews are biblical, but the conflict that Jesus had with, was with those who were knowledgeable of the Scriptures. Most, where the enemy works at, is in church. And what he tries to do is he tries to bring division in church, same people reading the same Scriptures, but they see things differently. And they fight. Right? So the conflict Jesus had was the, with those who were knowledgeable of the scriptures, the scribes, the Sadducees, the, the, Sadducees, the Pharisees, revealed that different worldviews can be appropriated even though they study the same book. Let's be clear, the conflict that Jesus had with these religious leaders was a conflict of worldview. Why did they get mad when Jesus ate with sinners? Because you don't do that. Scripture teaches you're supposed to separate yourself 
from sinful people. And yet Jesus, who is the living Word of God, the embodiment of the Scriptures, who knew this Word of God too, He says, but sick people need a physician. Both read the same Scriptures. Both came away with different interpretations of Scripture. Of course, we know which one was right. It was the Lord, right? Why do you allow that woman to uh, wet your hair, your feet with her hair, and clean it off and anoint? Do you know what kind of woman she is? Uh, uh, and you're letting her, her touch you like that. Why are you doing that? You know, she was uh, worshiping him, pouring oil on him, which they didn't know she was anointing him for burial, but basically said, who loves more, he who has been forgiven little or he who has forgiven much? You see someone with a past. I see someone who knows she's been forgiven. Different worldview, right? How about the leper? Whenever the leper came up to Jesus, the scriptures teach you don't touch uh, uh, the lepers because they're unclean. And if you uh, touch the unclean person, you will become unclean. But Jesus had a different understanding because he said uh, that, uh, you know, whenever he saw the leper, he's, he was clean. He said, yeah, that's one, one way of looking at it. But another way of looking at it is when I touch the unclean, they become clean. Different worldview. How about when they got mad at Jesus because he was uh, healing on the Sabbath, right? Thou shalt not do this on the Sabbath. And what they didn't realize, you're supposed to honor the Sabbath, but it didn't mean you can't do stuff. They made laws, traditional laws that said you can only walk a certain amount. You can do, you can do this to prepare a meal, but you can't do this. Uh, you know, there's certain things you couldn't do. And then they got mad because he set somebody free on the Sabbath, and they got upset, and they said, you broke the law, you're not from God. And Jesus said, don't you go, whenever you have a donkey or you have an animal that gets caught, and don't you go let him free on the Sabbath? Said, yeah. How about this woman that has been bound by Satan for 18 years? Should she not be set free? Same scripture. Same way of looking at things. Different interpretation. Oh, well, they're wrong. That they actually said Jesus was wrong. They wanted to kill him because he was doing it on the Sabbath. But who was really wrong? But they read the same scriptures. They had different lenses, right? So what are we wanting, though? This brings us to our fourth point. What we want to do is we want to have a kingdom worldview. Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the assemblies of God is at hand. For the Baptists are at hand. No, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Right? Luke 9, 1 through 2. Then he called his 12 disciples together, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Jesus made us aware that it's all about the kingdom. Then he equips the disciples, and I'm going to say us as well. We've had many messages on this. He equips us to extend his kingdom. Right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. You know how oftentimes we read this because of our worldview? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in our church as it is in heaven. You all, yeah, the church is part of the world. But he didn't say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the church as it is in heaven. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but the earth is a lot bigger than this church. So what does that tell me? God wants his kingdom to become manifest, not just in the church. He does want it to be manifest in here, but everywhere the church goes. So the way that we've got around that 
is we say, well, we won't go there. We won't go there. We won't go there, right? Because we're afraid that if we touch that, we're going to become unclean. But Jesus is saying, do you realize who lives inside of you? For is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's not concerned with you getting unclean. He wants you to be careful. He doesn't want you to become unclean and don't become worldly. But he didn't send you out, take you out of the world. He sent you into the world so that the kingdom of God that is becoming evident in you, that is becoming, uh, uh, becoming a part of who you are, will influence those around you just like salt and light. Making sense to you. So God, how does God extend his kingdom rule? What does it involve? It's simply, is it simply a matter of saving souls? Well, it depends on your worldview. It, is, it does incorporate saving souls. That's important. But for the longest time, I'm not talking about throughout history, but I'm talking about in recent history, it's all about saving souls. Right? Now, it begins with saving souls. Until you save souls, because the kingdom of God is within you. But it doesn't end with saving souls. That's what I'm going to say. Depends on your worldview. We are right in saying that God's kingdom rule is extended every time an unbeliever repents and accepts Christ as Lord and are most closely acquainted with this aspect of the saving work of Christ. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus paid the penalty and made atonement for the sins of all those who would believe in him. Those who believe are justified by grace through faith, have their sins forgiven, partake of eternal life. However, Jesus commanded his disciples not just to save souls, but to make disciples of all nations. So what does that involve? Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded them, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, so go into all the world and teach them to, to do everything, uh, teach them all that I've commanded you. Well, here's the thing. You've got to go into all the world. Where is all the world? Wherever you go. Another way of interpreting that is as you go, right, make disciples of all nations. Where do we go? We go to Target. We go to BASF. We go to the bank. We go, uh, uh, you know, school board meetings. We go to, uh, you know, political rallies. We go to anywhere that we go, we can bring the kingdom of God with us. And God wants us to affect wherever we go with the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, we have often, too often restricted our understanding of discipleship to a narrow, individualistic view of personal holiness based on a limited understanding of what Christ accomplished at the cross. So while we teach and have taught people that following Jesus means that we get baptized, filled with the Spirit, not all churches, but we do, attend church, give regularly, make an honest living, not all churches, but we do, take care of our families and be good neighbors, we fail to nurture them to develop a kingdom-shaped worldview. So we have Spirit-filled believers in churches displaying unchristian attitudes towards slavery, racism, insensitivity toward issues of poverty, economic exploitation, social oppression, and human suffering in general. Because it's all about me. Right? Just go to church, do good, live a good life, give a little bit, and wait for Jesus to come back. I'm not saying that's a, bad, that's not, that's a good place to start, but it's not what Jesus envisioned in my mentality when he said, go into all the world, make disciples, and preach this, repent, for the kingdom of given is at hand. My way of looking. Now, I realize I may have a different worldview than you, 
but I would be lying if I wasn't saying, I want you to learn something from my worldview, because I've grasped this from other people. The Lord is broadening my horizons on what the kingdom is and what he wants the kingdom to impact, and what I'm learning, I want to teach you. Okay? So there is a deep need to capture the all-inclusive implications of Christ's atoning death. If sin has affected every aspect of man's being, Christ redeemed us from every dimension of the curse which he bore our sin, uh, which he bore when he bore our sins on the cross of Calvary. The benefits of Christ's death thus have a bearing on every aspect of human personality. So it's not just, I remember I told you before, there is spirit, soul, and body, right? Mind, will, and emotions, your soul, your body. And I said, what happens when you get saved is your spirit, you know, becomes renewed. I told you about that, you know. And so most of us, we limit Christ's work to that dimension of our life. I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, right? But the word salvation, if you really have a good grasp of what salvation is, salvation is just not about you uh, being saved and going to heaven. It's about uh, salvation. The full meaning of salvation is wholeness. God wants you whole in every area of your life. He wants you whole in every dimension of your life. He wants you whole in your spirit, your soul, your body, your relationships, your finances, every area of your family, every area of your life. He wants whole. Well, what does whole look like? Whole looks like what happens when the kingdom of God manifests in your life. When I, I, when I take communion on a regular basis, and one of the ways I started uh, taking communion is, uh, I, I thank you, Lord, because you said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm a whoever. And I'm so grateful that you saved me. Your Bible, your, your word says, you forgive all our iniquities. That's not all it says. It says you heal all our diseases. Right? So in the cross of Calvary, when I got saved, I understand it this way. I understand that salvation is for every dimension of my life. So not only did I get saved when I accepted Christ in my life, I'm also being saved. My understanding of salvation is I'm being made whole. I'm being made whole in every area of my life, my mind, my will, and my emotions, my relationships, my finances. And you can talk to my wife and my family. They'll tell you that there are areas of my life that are still in progress, still in process, and God is still working them out in my life. But even physically, I'm believing God. I, I want to be like this man that was here, like Brother Nigel that was here when he said, when I'm 75, I want to be at 75, and I want to be kicking my knee and saying, praise the Lord, and I'm going to preach until the Lord comes back. I I'm going to be doing that because I believe in and see I've grown in my understanding in salvation there's provision for that all things are possible to those who believe if I don't know there's provision for that and then if I don't believe there's provision for that I won't see that provision manifest in my life and what I'm trying to get you to understand is that there's much more to the gospel than just you getting right with God and living a holy life God wants you whole in every dimension of your life, right? The benefit of Christ's death does have a bearing, has a bearing on every aspect of the human personality. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to the salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, now make 5.23, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. What do you mean by completely? Well, he actually tells us, may your whole spirit soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So basically what he's telling you there is that we are a three-part type being, 
and God wants every part of your being whole. You say, well, I don't get that from there. Third John 2, I didn't put that up there. So, oh, yeah, I did. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, even or just as your soul prospers. He doesn't want you just to prosper spiritually. He wants you to prosper in your soul, and he wants every dimension of your life to prosper. And I know some people will say, well, that's just a customary greeting. Well, you know, yes, it is a customary greeting, but I believe in this customary greeting, you're finding the will of the Lord, because even Jesus himself said, he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life. He could have stopped there, but then he said, and I have come that you may have it abundantly. Right? But he doesn't stop there. Man, you're going to preach some more? Yeah, I'm almost done. I'm on page 8. 16 pages, but I'm on page 8. No, I'm just kidding. I also believe that we as believers are to affect the world around us by bringing the kingdom of God to bear in every dimension or dynamic of life, chief of which is the culture and the society in which we live. All right? So I can. the reason I'm going there is because I, I want the kingdom of God to impact your life, but I want the kingdom of God to impact your family. Part of the kingdom being effective in our life is that your family be changed, my family be changed, right? So I want your family to have the, the, the kingdom manifest in your midst. And so like Brenda was here talking about stop, you know, we have in this area, uh, we have a problem with uh, teen suicide, young people killing themselves. Well, I don't want your kids to be impacted by that. I want your kids to know Christ, not just, hey, I'm, if I, I'm going to heaven when I die. No, I want your kids to live an overcoming, victorious life, not uh, 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 under the influence and affected by discouragement, depression, by the things that the world, anxiety, the things that the world wants to throw away. I want our kids, our family, to live overcoming. I want our kids to be saved, healed, delivered, set free, and I want them to make an impact in this world. And they're not going to make an impact in this world if I don't understand that I have to make an impact in this world. So I'm, I'm, living, uh, 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 I'm not living just for myself. I'm living for them as well because everything that I'm able to attain in victory, I can pass on to them as an inheritance. I could just enjoy life, live life, not press forward, but I'm going to press forward. It's like Caleb is 85 years old. He said, I'm supposed to take that mountain. I'm not just supposed to get in the promised land and build a tabernacle and stop. I'm supposed to take this land. I don't care if I'm 85 years old. I'm going to keep fighting until there's no longer a death breath for me to fight. Give me that mountain. I'm going to take it. And you know, when he took that mountain, it's not just for him. Who's it for? His children, children's children, and those that come after him. He's not just fighting for himself. He's fighting for the next generation and the generations that come after him. And that's what we need to understand, right? I submit to you, you know, that uh, uh, why do some Christians believe that we're to separate from society, but others believe we're to help transform it? I submit to you it's not because one is more or less Christian than the other, but rather a product of worldview, the filter by which we have been taught to read Scripture. Now, the important thing is to go back and what was Jesus' worldview? That Jesus' worldview was the kingdom of God is at hand. What did that look like? 1 John 3 and 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Some people would say, you shouldn't be praying for people. You know, you shouldn't be believing God for signs, wonders, and miracles. You shouldn't be doing that. But that's not what I read that Jesus did. He said, the Bible says that uh, the, this for this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. The Bible says that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good, healing all that were oppressed by the enemy. And then he says in John 17 and 18, as you sent me into the world, 
I have sent them, my disciples, into the world. The works that I do, greater works than these shall you do. Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Uh, so you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Matthew 5.14 and 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. What kind of works? People's lives being changed. Right? Not just natural works. Those are important. Because it says in the book of James, the pure religion of the Father is this, to care for the widows and the orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's true as well. But another dimension is that Jesus said, preach the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils. Right? And I believe, my opinion, I'm going to stretch you here, I believe that in some sense we can deal out with people individually, but I think we can also heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast the devils in the systems that we participate in. It's an ungodly system in our education system. Let's get it delivered. How do we get it delivered? By people that have the kingdom of God in them going into that and influencing what's happening in that area. Right? So to conclude, I know that changing people's core beliefs is not something that happens overnight. If, however, you become aware that you have a lens, like I said at the beginning, you have a filter that affects your understanding, then at least I've made a positive start in hopefully bringing the kingdom worldview to bear in your life, and I'm going to believe that as you become to recognize that, that, that God now has a way to be able to speak to you and deal with you and be able to work in your life, and you don't just say, that ain't God, or you don't say, that's not what I'm... You begin to realize, well, maybe it is the Lord. I've just been, I haven't been seeing it because of my worldview. Mark 22:22 says, "If no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins." I, wa I want to take the idea that the wineskin is your way of thinking. God wants to pour a new way of thinking, new wine into your ways of thinking, but He won't do it if you won't allow Him to stretch you. Right? Because if, if you put new wine into old wineskins, the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but new wine must be put into new wineskins. All right. So anyway, I, I told you this to me when I first started, it sounded more like a lecture, but I hope that the Spirit of God is participating with what I'm uh, uh, sharing with you tonight, and I hope that God's uh, sharing and uh, hopefully doing something in your life, teaching you something that you can take and say, well, I don't got it all, but I got something to chew on. Right? So, may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious toward you, turn his face toward you, and give you peace. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.